0: Exodus. A book about utter devastation, the unbelievably miraculous, and a mighty rescue. A book about a warrior, God-King, who fights to deliver his people out of brutal slavery. A book about an unexpected deliverer, born in one culture but raised in another. A book about the wanderings, failures, and ultimate formation of a people. A book that, more than any other in the Bible, seeks to answer the question, who is the Lord? So, who is he? Who is this God? It's time to speak. Yeah, good morning and welcome. So glad you're here with us today. Uh, all of you who are joining us uh, first time or your first time guests or you're joining us on the podcast, we are glad that you're here. A couple announcements before we get going into our time in God's Word. First, we've got a lunch today after, after the second service at the Whole Foods in the domain for all of our singles. So if you're here, a single person, our lunch is at one thirty at the domain. Now, like I tell my kids all the time, it's not where we go together, it's that we go together. And so there you go. Maybe you don't like the Whole Foods, but great. Other folks are going to be there. You should join them if you're single. All right. Secondly, why want to just sort of prep you for one thing that's going to happen next week. Next week, we're going to be receiving a special offering for Live Oak Elementary. Some of you know we do many things to partner with Live Oak. Over the years of our being there and serving the teachers and the students and the faculty, we've said to them consistently, if you have a need, please let us know. And finally, they've come to us and they've said, listen, we need actually a, a weekend food program for many of our families who can't afford to feed their kids over the weekend. They get the free lunches and breakfast breakfast at school, but they can't do food for the weekend. And so we said, yes. We said yes, we don't know how much it's going to be, we don't know what it's going to cost, but we're going to do it. Um, our prayer has honestly been, as, as a church, Lord, would you please begin to entrust us with things actually in the public sector, and, and we hope that the government and schools and education and businesses come to us to look for answers and solutions they can't provide on their own. And so now they've come to us, and so we'll be getting a head count from them, sort of a cost per family breakdown, and letting you know about that next week. So we're thrilled to do that, so... Be on the lookout. Okay, here we go. We are on the friend, front end of our series in the book of Exodus. Last week we looked at chapter 1, moving into chapter 2 and mostly 3 this morning. In our scripture reading, you can follow along on the screen or in your Bible. Again, chapter 2, a few verses, and then the first part of chapter 3. Now it came about in those days when Moses had grown up that he went out to his brethren (coughs) and looked on their hard labors. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. So he looked this way and that, and when he saw there was no one around, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. He went out the next day, and behold, two Hebrews were fighting with each other. And he said to the offender, why are you striking your companion? But he said, who made you a prince or judge over us? Are you intending to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? That Moses was afraid and said, Surely the matter has become known. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he tried to kill Moses. Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh and settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father in law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. So Moses said, I must turn aside now and see this marvelous sight why the bush is not burned up. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near here. Remove your sandals from your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. He also said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters, for I am aware of their sufferings. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. Furthermore, I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Therefore, come now, and I will send you to Pharaoh, so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh, and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with you, and this shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, You shall worship God at this mountain. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. It's God's word this morning and a great story it is. Now, of course, imagine the scene here at the time. There's a million slaves groaning under their harsh treatment. Uh, Once proud people with their own history and and identity. and, And the covenant promises of God that have undergirded their daily lives. Now they've been reduced to gathering straw. And building pyramids for a people that despise them. Their babies have been taken from them. Their babies are are killed either by having their necks snapped when they're born or through being thrown into the Nile to be drowned or eaten. There's no escape, no way out, no future for them. And yet, God has sworn to give them a land to increase them. And that through them, through Israel, all nations on earth would be blessed what could he do to fulfill his promise what what would he do perhaps the better question is what did he do what did God do to fulfill his promise to deliver his people from their chains Exodus 3 tells us this to deliver his people God prepared a person To deliver his people, God prepared a person silently, carefully, in the shadows over decades until the time was right. We see this all through the Bible and certainly in human history. That when God does extraordinary things, he first prepares and raises up extraordinary people. And there's no more extraordinary person in the Old Testament than the figure of Moses whose own preparation serves as a paradigm for us. In other words, his life we'll see is a pattern of how God prepares his people and his leaders so let's ask now how does God prepare his people to change the world well it's through the same four things we see here in the life of Moses this morning four things we're going to look at first the near miss second the stripped soul then the personal encounter and finally the fiery figure four things God does and puts in our lives to shape us for his plan. So let's look at them in turn here. First, number one, God prepared Moses to what we'll call the near miss. All right. Now, we didn't read it this morning, but we looked at last week in chapter 1 how Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, had passed a law to keep the Israelites from increasing and becoming more influential in his nation. Chapter 1 tells us he did this. It says, then first he spoke to the Hebrew midwives and said, verse 16, when you see the, the Hebrew woman giving birth, if it's a son, put him to death. If it's a daughter, she'll live. That didn't work, so he upped the ante. Then he commanded not just the midwives, but it says, all the people, saying, every son who was born You're to cast into the Nile every daughter you're to keep alive. The point is, Pharaoh here has legalized infanticide. But we can see it's actually one of the great ironies of history that takes place. Because what Pharaoh feared... He actually brought about, had come to pass, through his own evil actions. Pharaoh feared the Israelites would rise up and leave, but it was only because he put the evil law into effect that the person of Moses could have been formed in the first place. If Pharaoh hadn't made the evil law, if he hadn't tried to destroy the people, Moses' mother never would have been forced out of desperation to cast her son upon the Nile, where he was found by Pharaoh's daughter, then allowed who allowed him to live, then sent him back to be given his own cultural identity as a Hebrew, and then brought back into the palace of the very man who once upon a time tried to kill him. Now it's pretty ironic, isn't it? Well let's ask, what happened though to Moses because of a death sentence? hmm? Moses, can you see, got the very thing a deliverer would have to have and need. Oh, he got understanding of and access to Egyptian power. He was almost killed, right? Almost killed, wasn't he? He was moments, inches, seconds away from death. And yet it was going through this very thing, and experience that gave him, now we can see, the foundation he would have to have and one day need. Though no one could have possibly foreseen it at the time. In other words, God's deliverer Moses was formed through and shaped by the power of a near miss. A near miss is something that comes this close to taking you out, this close to ending his life, your life. And many times people who change the world experience this in their own life too. So let's ask, what does the near miss look like? What role how does it what role does it play? How does it shape us? Let me show you what I mean here. A couple of stories. Uh, First, in the years leading up to World War II, if you know your history, as the the nation of England watched Germany march all over Europe and level nation after nation, fears began to rise from the top military theorists in England that the nation would be psychologically devastated by the bombing that the Germans would have to do to be able to prepare to invade England. matter of fact, the, the, the nation's officials were so concerned about the psychological state of the people that they considered building. building underground tunnels for the people to go into but they abandoned the idea because they were afraid once the people went in they would never come back out (laughs) they even set up psychiatric hospitals just outside london on the outskirts of town as the war began anticipating a flood of people but then in 1940 finally the long anticipated bombing began But the long-anticipated panic never did. The psychiatric hospitals, those same ones, were actually turned into military posts through lack of use. You ask, well, what happened? I mean, was the attack not that bad? Oh, no, it was awful. It was devastating. It crippled the city. More than a million people lost their homes. Tens of thousands died. Whole communities were incinerated overnight. There was endless burning, a lack of food and sanitation, nonstop sirens, gunfire explosions, ambulances running across London. Imagine living through 9-11 every day and night for two and a half months. That was the London Blitz. And yet, though, not only did the people not panic, but as history records, the bombing actually produced in them what they had never had before. An unstoppable courage. They lived over and over again through almost dying. But that same experience of coming so close to death and living through it now produced in them a feeling of invulnerability, of unconquerability, of supreme courage. And that's what happened in London and why those hospitals were never filled up. Consider this diary entry of one London father. He said, when the first siren sounded, I took my children to our dugout in the garden and I was quite certain we were all going to be killed. Then the all-clear went without anything having happened. Ever since we came out of the dugout, I have felt sure nothing would ever hurt us. Or consider this one. This is from the diary of a young woman whose house was shaken by a nearby explosion. She said, I lay there feeling indescribably happy (coughs) and triumphant. I've been bombed. I kept on saying to myself over and over again, trying the phrase on like a new dress to see how it fitted. I've been bombed. I've been bombed. Me. It seems a terrible thing to say when many people were killed and injured last night. But never in my whole life have I ever experienced such pure and flawless happiness. Well, what had happened to him? Well, Dr. J.T. McCurdy in his book, The Structure of Morale, concludes this about the bombing of London. He said, we are all of us not merely liable to fear. We are also prone to be afraid of being afraid. And the conquering of fear produces exhilaration." When we have been afraid that we may panic at an air raid, and when it has happened, we have exhibited to others nothing but a calm exterior, and we are now safe. The contrast between the previous apprehension and the present relief and feeling of security promotes a self-confidence that is the very father and mother of courage. In other words, coming this close to death and yet living can give a person a kind of courage that they never would have had if their life had just gone on as normal without a hitch or a problem or a care. So let me ask you, what near miss perhaps have you been through in your life? Abuse in your background? hmm? Divorce? Losing a parent? Losing a child? Extreme poverty? What bomb or attack from the enemy, so to speak, came so close to destroying you and taking you out but didn't? Oh, church, That's what God uses to shape you and form you and make you into something unstoppable. For Moses, it was a literal death sentence. He escaped and he lived through it. Other babies didn't live today, but he did. And God used that in his life. And if you are here because you live on planet Earth like me, I know the odds of your going through something traumatic in your past are high. Or maybe you're going through something traumatic now. But what if? what if in the midst of your pain and your challenge, instead of pushing that away, you studied it? You began to dig through the rubble of maybe a failure in your past to see what God wants to use in your life to help others. Hmm? See, when God wants to shape a leader and change the world, the near miss is often the first play he runs. Let me give you one more Example, one of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s most important allies in the fight against racism in Birmingham, Alabama, was a black Baptist preacher named Fred Shuttlesworth. It's a picture of the good right Reverend uh, Shuttlesworth. Uh, he had been leading the fight against segregation in Birmingham and the city for years. Of course, there were so many bombings in the city. He became known as Bombingham, sort of a tongue-in-cheek gallows humor there. Uh, on Christmas morning, In 1956, Fred Shuttlesworth announced that he was going to ride the city's segregated buses in defiance of the city's laws that forbade blacks and whites from riding together. The day before the protest was going to happen, the night of Christmas, 1956, his house was bombed by members of the Ku Klux Klan. The Klan, you see, was trying to do to Shuttlesworth what the Nazis had been trying to do to the English during the Blitz. But they too misunderstood the power of a near miss. See, when the police and the neighbors came running towards the ruins of Shuttlesworth's house, they feared the worst. Of course, they feared he was dead. But suddenly, a voice came from the wreckage, and this is what he said I'm not coming out naked. (laughs) First words. I guess he had been in bed at night, and who knows what he had on or what was blowing off him. But after a few moments, he emerged in a raincoat. Someone from the crowd threw into the rubble. He was not crippled, bloodied, or blind. wasn't even deaf, though the blast had blown windows out of houses a mile away. And here's what he said to the police and his neighbors. He said, the Lord has protected me. I am not injured. A big policeman there on the spot began to cry. He said, Reverend, I know these people. I didn't think they would go this far. If I were you, I'd get out of town they're vicious Shuttlesworth were in reply well officer it's a good thing you're not me go and tell your clan brothers that if the lord saved me from this i'm here for the duration the fight is just beginning mm, yeah oh it gets better see that's a classic near miss right what the clan had actually hoped to accomplish had the opposite effect he was now less afraid that he'd been before. The next morning, members of his congregation pleaded with him not to ride the buses and to call off the protest, but he refused. And you'll forgive his cursing here as his life was just uh, attempted to be killed. This is what he said in response uh, to his church. He said, hell yeah, we're going to ride. Find you any kind of crack you can to hide in if you're scared, but I'm walking downtown after this meeting and getting on the bus. I'm not going to look back to see who's following me. Boys step back, and men step forward. Yeah. That's powerful, isn't it? Yeah. See, the attack changed his life. He he lived through what should have killed someone else. But yet it made him into something unstoppable. Listen, stop looking, may I suggest to you, at your pain or trauma, or abuse, or poverty, even the betrayal you've been through, or something you've suffered in the same way. The Nazi bombing strengthened England gave it the resolve it needed to make it through the war. The attacks on Shuttlesworth's life empowered him. And the nearly dying in the Nile formed Moses into a deliverer. See, Moses' disadvantage became his advantage and of course god never approves of evil he never approved of pharaoh's law or of jim crow laws or of the bombing of a nation but what if you really believe no matter who you are or where you're from that somehow your greatest disadvantage god could turn into your greatest weapon hmm? what if you saw this is exactly how god prepares his leaders to the power of a near miss and here's what you would do if you actually saw it this way you would start getting excited. You start getting excited. You would never look at your pain the same way. you start to dance a dance. You'd say, God, think you never waste a hurt. That's how good you are. And you would be able to say what the Apostle Paul said about his wrongful imprisonment. He said, my imprisonment, the wrongs I've suffered, have served to advance the gospel. He said, and in this, I rejoice. Oh, that's what a near miss can do what's yours done for you hmm? what's it done for you see that's the power of a near miss but but and yet let's keep moving because there's another side to this coin sort of a equal and opposite tension of something that God does here before we can move on that Moses actually needed next he was formed at first of the power of a near miss but then God brought him to the place where he needed number two the stripped soul the stripped soul so let's fast forward a bit in our story. And here we finally meet Moses in chapter 3. We've got to ask, of course, what's he doing now? What's happened to all his promise and his education and his bright future? Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father in law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert well why is he tending the flock now Hmm? what happened to his promise none of it came to pass right why not well because we read that in chapter 2 Moses's life took a detour took a detour at 40 years old he murdered a man for mistreating one of his fellow Hebrews and then he fled for his life and now he's here in chapter 3 he's 40 years out from the moment a fugitive from justice he's tending sheep and not just sheep they're not even his sheep they're his father-in-law's sheep no only person hire him is his own family. Not just in the desert, is he? No, he's on the far side of the desert. Moses led leaders. Now he tends sheep. He used to sleep in a palace. Now he sleeps on the desert floor. He appears not just to be a failure, right, but an epic failure. He is a failed and forgotten old man whose life has been shattered in confidence, gone, missing, and on the surface, the near miss of his life appears to have gone to waste but but what's actually been happening for the last 40 years hmm? i'll tell you god had been stripping down his soul his inner life had to be we see reshaped stripped down and many times most of the time ours does as well before god can really use us god strips us down molds us and here's his favorite play to run here he makes us breaks us molds us strips us by slowing us down, by slowing us down, by putting us on a kind of a divine detour, which is where Moses had been. Why? Because a detour reveals what's really down on the inside. Let me show you what I mean. Most of us here would say that we believe in God and we trust Jesus. <laughs> as our savior with our everything right but the first moment something goes wrong in our lives we've got to wait for something right maybe we, we wait a little longer than we thought to get married or we don't get the promotion that we thought the business deal doesn't come to pass like we've hoped the promotion doesn't happen right uh, many of us start we start to go nuts right we start to i don't know maybe medicate with a little too much alcohol we drink a little too much we we wonder if we weren't just taking that christianity thing just a little too seriously to begin with right or maybe the divorce word starts to come out or we quit serving God already. I mean, wait a minute. What just happened? Well, what happened was you waited a minute. (laughs) You waited a minute. And what was in there was exposed. And therefore, in that light, the waiting, the not getting (coughs) was and is the best thing that could ever happen to you because it showed you what's really in there. showed you what's really in there. Now, it's kind of painful, but it's true. Now, maybe like you, I can sympathize quite a bit with Moses. When I first went into vocational ministry a a number of years ago, I was quite honestly, especially if you knew me then, uh, I was a fool, to be honest. I had a high GPA, college athlete, and thought I had my stuff together. Like, those things were really important. Like Moses must have thought his stuff was important. I remember walking into some meetings one time with some pastors who were really successful, and and rightfully so, they had led thousands to Christ, planted many churches, uh, flowed in gifts of healing and prophetic and all these things and i i walked in summed up the room and thought to myself and i'm really ashamed to admit it but i thought i'm the future future now you laugh but i'd say this it's really hard for god to use someone without rolling around in his character really hard so what did god do oh he had a sense of humor about it he saw to it that my first vocational ministry position was being the van driver <laughs> at conferences for, for professional athletes for years and years, dozens of conferences, mile after mile, round trip after round trip, bag hauled after bag hauled, insult received after insult received from these, you know, very rich and wealthy, and might I add, very good looking people. Uh, I thought, you know, I raised my support for this. I was like, Yes. You raised it so I could train you, son. See, between the toll booths and the turnpike somewhere, God did something. He began to strip me, and I needed it. It was really effective, I think. Let you be the judge of that, I suppose. (laughs) But do you notice... How effective this soul-stripping was in Moses' life. See, Moses was powerful, right? Educated in all the wisdom of Egypt. He's got every right to be self-confident. But when he meets God here in a moment in chapter 3, what's his response? Is it, I can do it, God. I'm the future, right? I knew I was waiting for you to ask. No, it's, who am I? Who am I? Do you think the Moses from 40 years before would have answered like this? No. What's happened? What's happened? He's been humbled. Frank Damasio puts it like this in his book, Man's Response to the Call of God. He said, The effectiveness of all God's strippings were very evident in the way that we see Moses Moses respond to God's call at a later time. As we shall soon see, Moses was stripped of self-confidence and Egyptian pride. These attitudes would have made it impossible for him to accomplish what God had called him to do. In the great task that Moses was going to face, he would need to know that God, not man, was the source of his strength. As with Moses... God is a desert for all his servants that he is going to use in a mighty way. The stripping process is part of the plan of God for all who will respond to the call of the Lord. Let me ask you, you feel like your soul's being a little stripped today? Life's on a detour maybe? Let me tell you, it's not wasted time. You think God wasted those 40 years of Moses' life? No, he was involved every step of the way. Listen, don't give up persevere through the process because look what happened because moses persevered because he didn't quit all Moses' detours all his mistakes all his failures led him now to this one place to meet one person and he got what we all need next for us to move forward into god's plan even at his lowest moment maybe your lowest moment what do we need well he got what we need number three a personal encounter a personal encounter with God. And this is what it looked like. It said, There the angel of the Lord, chapter three, appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. Let's pause and ask here for a moment. There's something amazing here. Well, do you know how often God reveals Himself as a God of fire in the Bible? It's over and over throughout the scriptures. God comes as fire. Why? Because there's this something about fire that encapsulates God's nature more than any other sort of metaphor. Blaise Pascal, he was a famous French philosopher, and mathematician. He died in 1662. And when he died, they found, sewed into the lining of his coat pocket, basically his testimony. It was a piece of paper. He had written something on year, eight years before his death. No one had ever discovered this until they literally found his body. And this is what he had written on from a certain night. He said, the year of grace, 1654. Monday, 23 November, from about half past 10 at night until half past midnight, he wrote one word fire. Fire. God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not the God of the philosophers and of the learned. Certitude, certitude, feeling, joy, peace, God of Jesus Christ. So when he encountered God, what one word did he use to describe him? It's the same word the God of Exodus 3 uses fire. Fire. What does that tell us? Oh, Only everything. Because let's look at what other sort of basic metaphors aren't used here. God could have shown himself to Moses as, you know, the God of the watery pool. Maybe the God of the clay cup you drink out of every morning or something. No, he isn't the God of water or clay. Why not? Because water and clay are substances you shape, that you form, you move by your presence. In other words, you shape them, but fire moves you fire shapes you you can boil the water melt the clay but fire now that consumes you well what does this mean let's keep going for a moment see normally what does fire depend on to burn come on forest rangers you know right a couple of things here but yeah it's got fuel got ox- see every fire you and i've ever seen depends on something some kind of fuel to keep it burning but the fire moses sees here keeps on burning it doesn't go out it through its own power keeps on burning and what commentator after commentator says here is that what moses was seeing is a visual depiction of what he was about to hear see he saw the bush he turned aside god spoke to him said i've been with abraham isaac and jacob now i'm with you and now i'm sending you and moses says all right great well who am i going to say is sending me what's your name god and god said tell them i am i'm who I am, has sent you. You say, well, what does that mean? It's kind of cryptic, right? I mean, what's inside the name? What does the name mean? Well, God means this. He's saying, I've got no beginning. The word Yahweh, I've got no beginning, no end. No one caused me. He's saying, I'm my own cause. I'm the source of all power, of all being. Nothing brought me into being. Nothing keeps me going that's outside me. I depend on no one, just like a bush that continues to burn, see, the name of the bush mean the same thing, and therefore God is revealing to you today, and to Moses, who he is. He's saying, Moses, you person today. He's saying, I am who I am, not I am who you want me to be. There's a difference in there. I am who I am, not who I am and who you want me to be. Now, of course, this is incredibly hard, isn't it, for us modern people to accept. Because we don't like the God of I am, we want the God of he is who we want him to be, right? God says, go there. Obey me. I'm calling you. I'm directing you. We think, man, obey God. Are you crazy, right? It's a recipe for disaster. Obey the Bible's, I don't know, sex ethic, right? We say, I don't think so. It feels really good. I ought to be able to be with whoever I want to, whenever I want, right? So the God of fire is out, The God of clay is in. Man, take the lowest place. Serve others like your word tells me a thousand times. Man, I'm really busy, God. I'm busy. It's inconvenient. Never mind the fact that people serve me every time I come to this church. All right? We want a God of clay, right? That we shape. Not a God of fire who shapes us. God is saying here, here is who I am. But we say, oh, no, silly God, so silly! You didn't really mean that. Didn't really mean that. You're fire. You really. Cl- what you meant to say was clay, clay that melts right. That I get to shift and put my fingers on. Now let's just imagine someone did that to you, right? They came. You came to them. Uh, you said, "Man, here is who I am." And they say, "No, silly. You're so silly. You didn't mean that. You're really something else. You're what I think you are." And how could you? possibly have a relationship with that person right but we do this for god all the time we don't give him the respect that we demand for ourselves because we don't want the god of the burning bush we want the god of meet the parents guys remember that movie right the 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 prayer ben stiller prayed at dinner he said oh god we thank you you're such a good and accommodating god accommodating God see that's the God of clay we shape that God but if if you want a God who's powerful enough to bring a nation to its knees and to free a million slaves and free you today oh you've got to have a God who's bigger than you to whose name your knee bows in the end see the God of the Bible says I'm not a God of clay I'm the God of fire can you handle it Hmm? can you be in a relationship with someone like that do you want to know me you've got to let me be who I am that's what the name and the bush mean so you can't play with fire god's saying don't play with me son (laughs) play with me son i'm beautiful i'm lovely but i'm lethal to the touch see god's revealing to us here he's a real being no one made up not imaginary right moses saw the fire pascal felt it and i just want to say to you today you can have the same fire too But you have to ask, well, how, right? How? I mean, fire's lethal to the touch. It consumes. How can we get this fire in our lives? Well, the same way Moses got it. Because he needed it. He needed it to be prepared for what God had called him to do. And so do you. And then you can get it the same way Moses got it. If you'll see this this morning. Number four, Moses got, and we need to, the fiery figure. In other words, you need an angel and an angel, oh, I'm sorry, did I say an angel? <laughs> you need the angel, the angel. Go back to verse two. It says there, <coughs> the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire. Now, all author of the Bible, there are angels who appear, of course, if you read it. And this angel, this mysterious angel of the Lord, is a person, a being who appears all through the Old Testament. And unlike other angels, doesn't just speak from God. This angel, the angel of the Lord, speaks as God. You see, the passage says here that it's the angel of the Lord who's in the bush and that God speaks in the bush and from the bush. So, which is it? Is it the angel of the Lord speaking or is it God speaking? The answer is, thank you, Brett, yes. The answer is yes. The angel was in the bush, yet it was God speaking as the angel. In other words... Can you see the picture? The angel was the mediator. There was a figure in the fire who came to Moses and mediated between God and man. And this is a principle we see all through the Old Testament. God says, if you want to know me, if you want to come near to me, you're going to need a substitute. You're going to need a sacrifice. Something that takes your place in the fire. Over and over in the Old Testament, there would be a fire that people would come and bring their sacrifices and put into the fire to remind God's people that something had to take their place. For them to be able to be close to God. To take away the punishment for what what real wrong and real evil and real injustice deserves. See, God's not being punitive by this. No, church. He's being just. And what the people in the Old Testament understood was that the lamb that was slain in front of them was a sacrifice that made it possible for them to come near to God. So they took their place. But look, look, there's a fire here, right? There's a fire here. And yet Moses isn't consumed. Yet there's no sacrifice. How could Moses not be consumed if nothing went into the fire? And the answer is it's possible because the angel of the Lord doesn't just take Moses' place here, he takes God's place in the fire as well. He stands in the middle to bring both together and the only way to possibly understand this is to see what the new testament tells us that jesus christ is the mediator between god and man and that this picture in exodus is but a snapshot it's a sketch of the full-blown picture we would receive centuries later when jesus went into the fire on the cross for us he Church, by the sacrifice of himself went into the fire and took hell upon him in God's judgment. And he was consumed in the fire so that we would not have to be. And therefore, in a way, as a Christian, if you're in Jesus today, you've been through now the ultimate near-miss, the ultimate near-death experience. Because the death sentence you see was carried out. Someone did die. The ultimate bomb did fall. What should have happened to you happened to someone else but it didn't. Therefore, the very worst thing that could have happened, you've now lived through. You've made it to the other side because of Jesus going into the fire. It happened to him, and now we can walk out in life full of courage, full of an unconquerable, indomitable spirit. See, out of everything what happened to Moses, what gave him, church, what gave him the greatest courage that he would need? It was this, right here in chapter 3. Hebrews 11 tells us, it says, he left Egypt by faith, not fearing he wasn't afraid the wrath of the king or the clan or the bombing of the nazis or anything else for he endured why he saw him and who is unseen and the translators can't even bring themselves to say what it says literally here doesn't just say as seeing him no in the hebrew it says he saw him who's unseen he saw the invisible one and you know this because jesus centuries later said to the pharisees in john chapter 8 before abraham was unseen i am no that seemed like a grammatical error jesus i thought you were perfect no that would have been odd right if he had just said before abraham was i was born he would have been three thousand years old and that's odd enough but no the pharisees knew what he was saying he said i am that's why they picked up stones to throw him what he's saying in the bush that was me where the name of god was given i was there i am the god who went into the fire for you Ah. Oh. So now you can have the fire of God in your life. Just like Moses did. He got this and it shaped him for the rest of his life, unafraid of Pharaoh, over and over again. And church, if you'll receive him today, this fiery figure, the angel in the fire for you, Oh, you take off the sandals of your heart. Any place can become holy ground. That desert was holy. I mean, that hard, scrabble, barren place. No, it was holy because God's fire came and cleansed it. And now Moses bowed, took off his sandals, and I love the thing it says here, finally. It says he hid his face from God. Hid his face. We don't like that. That's oh, offensive. I thought God was my friend. Listen, you get the friendship if you get the fire first. There's no friendship without fire. No friendship without fire. He comes in his fire, and then he gives you his friendship. That's the kind of God we have. When it wasn't made up, you couldn't have made this story up. Are you kidding me? No, he's the real God. And you need him if you want to change the world like Moses. Let's pray now as we close and respond. Lord, we thank you for these truths this morning, this picture over and over again. Lord, for centuries you were, you were speaking to your people, pricking their hearts, giving us signposts and pointers to who you would ultimately be to us and for us. And we thank you for being this one more way in which you, you show us the picture of your gospel. Not just taking Moses' place, but God's place both in the fire for us. Thank you for that. this morning if you're here if you've never given your life to Jesus you've never become a Christian you've never received that sacrifice for you before God and you say today's my day would you raise your hand this morning I want to pray for you mm. you yeah. know thank you Lord mm. Lord I thank you for that one if your hand's raised this morning would you just pray this simple prayer with me say Lord Jesus I come to you Would you make me new? I receive what you've done for me. Lord, I step off the throne of my life. Receive you now as the Lord of my life. I receive you as the God of fire. And now I receive your friendship. Thank you for coming down and being consumed. I didn't have to be. Thank you, Lord, you came not to bring judgment, but to bear judgment for me in Jesus' name. Would you change me now today, Lord? Give my life to you. In the name I pray. If you're here this morning and there's some area of obedience that you're wrestling with, and that's, listen, that's all of us the rest of our life. Some area you see that the fire of God, it's you're trying to keep out. So God's a consuming fire. He wants to come in. Why? To bring cleansing, bring wholeness, that new things can grow. That's what fire does. If you're this morning wrestling with an area of obedience, You're saying, today I give that area to Jesus. Would you raise your hand this morning? I want to pray for you. Yes, Lord, I thank you for these. Lord, we all are like Jacob. Lord, we're wrestlers with God. Lord, I'm praying for these. They would just surrender that area and give up. Give it to you. Be freedom and grace now that come to them because of your fire. finally, if you're here this morning and you're saying, you know what, I, I need the fire of God in my life. I'm asking him to light a fire under me to bring in a new level of his power and grace and glory in my life. If that's you, would you just raise your hand and say, I'm hungry for that. I'm hungry for the fire of God in my life. Would you raise your hand, I want to pray for you. Lord, I thank you for these. Yeah, all over the room. Lord, we need this so much. Lord, who you are can only be our good. Lord, I'm praying for your fire now to come. Lord, and and like these. Light a fire under us, a fire in our hearts, in this church, over and over again. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen.